Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk Podcast, first episode of 2024. Crazy. It's always Ooh. always so weird when it's a new year. It takes me, it feels like it takes two months to start writing the correct year on a piece of paper. And by then you're already two months into a 12 month cycle. <laughs> Do you think of time now as like years plus COVID? Like now it's <laughs> four years since COVID. <laughs> Is that like how you see time now in a way? Sometimes I do. Yeah, I think COVID's a good marker. It's also like, you know, when we used the 2000 as a marker, now mm-hmm. we can use 2020 as a marker. <laughs> 2000 was a really yeah, long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> really long. <laughs> as as you just heard, we've got Lauren Rowney and Gracie Elvin here for our first episode of the year. And full disclosure, we are recording this before the Aussie National Championships that are happening because Lauren is going to have a baby and we don't know when. Well, actually, it next week. update. Oh, Ooh. I'm going oh. to be induced next week. It's just a matter Ooh. of what day. So very good. It feels weird. So to Lauren's going to have a baby next week. <laughs> It's weird to know that you're having a baby, like, on a day. Um, yeah. Yeah. But also a good job for, like, making that decision. It's not an easy one, so. It wasn't made for me, honestly. There was actually no option because you'll never <laughs> guess the day they scheduled Harry's surgery. My due date. Wait, do you want this in the podcast? It's fine. <laughs> really? That is, that, it's very sen- serendipitous, hopefully mm. in a good way. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot to process. Did they ask you first? I don't think they care that I'm giving birth. <laughs> but <laughs> um, that's like, no, it's that's wrong. Like, I understand the care of Harry is our, our highest priority, but it's kind of hard. It's conflicting because mm. this baby's also really important. Um, so, but anyway, like, I'll be 39 plus a few days, and that's a really healthy time to induce. I'm not really scared. So, yeah, so we, uh, we're we recording this episode before Aussie Nationals because we want Lauren on the podcast at least once before uh, she has to leave due to family, uh, having a baby, and also Harry. And if anyone follows Lauren on social media, you'll know what they've been going through this year. Um, speaking of social media, Gracie, announced her big news on Yay! social media as well over the break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much the last couple of months of what I've been obsessed with, I haven't really been able to yeah. say, which is like either being worried about what I'm doing or reading a parenting book about what to do because it's like, as you both know with your first kids, you just like, I've never done this before and I don't know if <laughs> what I'm doing is bad, but usually it's not. So I've been actually really enjoying it lately and second trimester is much much better (laughs) so we've got a lot going on for the members of the wheel talk (laughs) podcast gracie and i will be here next week to talk about aussie nationals and tdu and everything that's happening in australia gracie's still going to be on the ground at tdu which is super exciting so hopefully we get some fun stories out of that and yeah we'll hopefully have lauren in and out but we'll see how things how things happen with the toddler and a newborn baby because no you can never top yourself in 2021 yeah <laughs> jumping on the podcast <laughs> one day after birth <laughs> that was crazy uh. Uh. anyway so yeah that's kind of just so just so everyone knows that's why we're not talking about Aussie nuts today but we will we got some 
awesome listener questions that we're going to get to today and a tiny bit of news that we're, we'll just touch on a little bit, plus a little bit of what's coming at TDU. But because of what's been going on the last week in the women's cycling world and in Australia, uh, we wanted to start out this episode by just talking for a moment about Melissa Hoskins or Dennis. There was an incident over the holiday break involving Rowan Dennis and his wife, Melissa, Olympian, Olympic medalist um, on the track and a longtime member of uh, the Green Edge organization. Tragically, she passed away. And we're not going to touch on the details of, of that because honestly, we don't know enough to talk about it. And I don't think any of us want to talk about the, the details of what happened. There's written pieces on Escape Collective of what we know. So if you want to check that out, that's up to you. But for, for us here, it's not something that we want to touch on. But we do want to talk about Mel because both of you were teammates with her. Gracie spent the most time with her out of the three of us. And the outpouring of love for her from the women's cycling world and also from the Australian and Girona communities that they were a part of has been overwhelming, to say the least. Um, there's been a ton of people who were really, really close to Mel who've have written incredible testaments to her loyalty and her goofiness and many things about her. So we just wanted to talk about, about Mel for a minute um, before we dive into the rest of the episode. And I'll, I'll hand it over to you, Gracie. Yeah, you've really raised a lot of good things in there already. It's it's a it's a really sad time for the cycling community and particularly those that knew Mel well. Um, I was a teammate of hers for three years, um, but some of the other riders, particularly in the track program, were even closer to her and spent twenty four seven for many years almost building towards such big goals like the Olympics and their world championship in the team pursuit, a world record. They've experienced highs and lows. I was rooming with the track endurance team in Rio when they had that really big crash those in that week before their big event, and they all rallied around each other, Mel included, to really pick themselves up and to try and do that best, best on um, competition day. It's, it's an unimaginable loss. It's, it's a shock, um, and I think it's still taking some time for people to process it, I think, because it, something like this is so unexpected. Something that has been really good to come out of it is two things that I can think of right now. <laughs> that is the beautiful words that people have been sharing about Mel that I can attest to are true. She was the life of the party, very funny, always had a great movie quote, that she pretty much peppered into every sentence yeah. <laughs> um, and so loyal, very committed as a, an athlete for herself. She would be one of those uber professionals always doing everything right, but better than that, she was committed to her teammates um, on the road. You could always rely on her to be there when needed to do a ripper lead out or to win the race herself and I can't attest for the track program, but she was really uh, a vital cog in that engine. So, yeah, it's the other good thing too is that the cycling community have rallied around each other. There's been 
lots of messages circulating around each other for support. Um, I've received a few myself and I know many others have been receiving those as well. So it's despite this, this awful tragedy happening, it's brought everyone closer together again. And I do hope that something positive can come out of this. Well said, Gracie. And just lots of love to her family and those close people to her, especially those children. Yeah, I think a lot of a lot of people in the whole with the whole situation are just thinking of of her family and the their two kids and um sending sending all of our love to them and everyone that she was close with cuz um I know especially in the Girona community, the the mom unity as I call it, um she was a huge force in that group. Um and yeah, very fiercely loved by the people that she was close to. So we, we the, the Wheel Talk podcast, our, our sympathy and our love goes out to everyone who's hurting at this time and uh, just, yeah, unimaginable situation. And that's, that's what we're going to say on the matter. We'll, we'll remain in Australia for a bit of news that happened whilst we were not recording. And that is that Sarah Gigante announced a premature departure from Movistar with one year left on her contract to join AG Insurance Sudal. Um, she's going to make her debut with her new team at TDU. So that will be exciting to see. She's been barely racing for the last couple of years whilst on Movistar for various reasons, injuries and health and stuff. So it's, it's going to be great to see what this new team can offer Sarah and how they can support her as a developing rider. Cause she's, she's been in the world tour for a couple of years, but she is very, she's still very fresh, um, in, in the cycling world. And I think a lot of support needs to go into her career to, for her to, um, really achieve her potential, which I, I think AG Insurance Sudal is a great place for her to be in that regard. So excited to see where that goes. I've heard that she's in some pretty good form, so we'll definitely know soon. <laughs> mm. Transition straight into TDU. So three stages coming up, Tour Down Under. This week, as you're listening to this podcast, it's later this week. The first stage is is a sprinter-friendly stage. The second stage is rolling with a slight climb to the finish. And the third stage is the really exciting one, finishing on Wollonga Hill, which is the first time that the women's event has been able to finish there. And the lineup includes defending winner Grace Brown with her teammate Cecily Utrecht Ludwig. That's going to be really interesting that she's decided to go down to TDU. It is a provisional, 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 provisional start list that I was looking at. So perhaps that's not correct, but I would be excited to see. I, I spotted her training in the Adelaide Hills over There Christmas. you go. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> with her boyfriend. I guess... Taking into account who her partner is, it makes sense that she'd be down there. And then, yeah, Trek have a really strong lineup again this year with Spratty, who almost almost took it from Grace last year. So another, we'll get to see those two go head-to-head on Wollongo, which will be pretty cool. Brody Chapman, Loretta Hansen, and their new rider, Felicity Wilson-Haffenden, is going to be there, which is super exciting. Of course, as you'd expect, Liv Lula Jaco is starting with a so Aussie slash Kiwi. The bottom of the world, <laughs> the bottom of the world team. <laughs> Ella Wiley is going to be lighting up for them. So 
Excited to see that. And uh, 2020 winner Ruth Edwards will race for Human Powered Health. So that's also uh, pretty exciting. Plus, ITT world champ Chloe Daggart is lining up for Canyon SRAM. All in all, the start list for TDU coming up looks like a very exciting race with a lot of opportunity. It's really good to see, um, even though it's provisional, like the more teams coming out and better start lists because it's World Tour, but, you know, it's still a long way away. And unlike men's cycling, uh, the women's teams still have to factor in their budget for the year, and that's a huge cost um, compared to European races to come this far. So I feel like um, much like the men's TDU, the women's is gaining some nice momentum there, good reputation uh, for being a great race, but also a really good opportunity to uh, train in warm weather, stack it with Cadell's road race. And, yeah, I think that this is one of the stronger fields that we've ever seen. So that's going to be really exciting. I think um, I just want to give a shout-out to Carly Taylor and Annette Edmondson, who are the two race directors for the race, um Carly obviously being a very close friend of mine I get a lot of the insider knowledge they've been working super hard to really make this event into one of the premier tours of the year and you know racing in Australia does present its challenges particularly financially so a race in Australia costs far more money than running anything else uh in Europe because you've got to get the teams out here and as a condition of of hosting uh the Tour Down Under for the men's race the UCI put pressure on the organizers that they have to fly them in business class and this is something that um yes it came directly from the UCI which means that you can imagine how much money um the head sponsors are putting into this race just to host it um, obviously, we want equity in sports, so uh, what Carly and Nettie are really working towards is that the women have the same opportunity in the future to fly as well business class, but for now, they're able to fly over, I think, all the World Tour teams um, for free, and I'm not sure actually about the other teams how that works, but there is some sort of subsidization there, subsidy to make sure that they get um, a really good lineup. So I just wanted to give them a shout out. They're working tirelessly to make this a week long tour as well. I love this race so much. I like feel like this was one of the highlights getting to do this race. It was one of the highlights of my career because you'd go down, it was like a completely different start to the year than anywhere else. Cause the racing is, it's a stage race. So it's not nearly as insane as starting your season at Omloop, for example. And it was a really fun intro into the year. The weather was incredible, but Adelaide is just gorgeous. Like the Adelaide Hills riding in there, the week in between TDU and Cadell's where you just kind of get to hang out in Adelaide and train was so much fun. I had, it was just like coffee shops and super long rides and yeah, never saw a kangaroo. Which was a little bit of a disappointment. Really? <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that's so surprising. They're like everywhere. <laughs> Particularly, yeah, in Adelaide. Did you koalas? see a koala? Yeah. No, I never saw a koala except the one in the like at the start village. Oh, oh there's tons there. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. You're gonna have to go back, Abby. 2025. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We gotta go. <laughs> well, we all are gonna go, right? That's the plan. I think when we had, when in 2019, when we did TDU, it actually wasn't, it was relatively mild. Like it was warm, 
but it wasn't unreasonable. There was only one stage where it was like out in the vineyards that finished with that climb that was like, that that stage sucked because it was so hot. But that was the only one. Well, I love TDU and for any Aussie listening, for me, I always referred it to as like the adult schoolies week in a way. <laughs> That's how it sort of felt like for me riding bikes and then going out in the evening. This is obviously when I wasn't an athlete. (laughs) (laughs) Having like dinner out and drinks and then like just hanging out with people all day in Lycra. It was great. (laughs) Yeah. If if people want to go watch a stage of the Tour de France but can't afford it, I say go to the Tour Down Under. It's actually better. It is. 100%. It's so cool. And there's so many people that go to this race, like just – the it seems like the entire Australian cycling community, of which there are many, just all flock to Adelaide for the TDU, and it's really cool. It's like schoolies week, so cool. Yeah. <laughs> the weirdest part for me racing the race was feeding and service on the on the opposite side. On the so wrong side. Weird. So weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that took some getting used to. But, man, it was a good race. Anyway, so TDU coming up this weekend, and we will be back to talk about it after the event. But um, can can you guys shed any light on, like, what Wollonga being in the race means to the race and also mm. what that means for the riders that are lining up and who it might favor? I think Wollonga is an, is an iconic stage um, for the Tour Down Under, and that's something they worked really hard to make happen, um, the organisers of the women's race. Um, yeah, I mean, it's three stages, the the tour. So uh, Wollonga, it, the hill itself, Grace, I'm guessing you've been up it a few times just for fun. I mean, we never got to race up it. It's um, it's a short, sharp effort. I mean, your Richie Ports, I, mean, I think he won it the most out of every competitor, right? Um and you're, a, a rider like Richie Paul can run up there and a rider like I think Simon Gerrans could run up there too from, from memory. So I'm just referring to what the men have done in the past. Um, so for me, yeah, it's it's iconic um, and it's a really cool thing that the women get to experience themselves um, because the atmosphere on that hill as well is, is just something else when, you, when you're on the hill watching the race. So imagine for the riders, it's going to be something quite special to experience. Um, but looking looking at the start list, I mean, I think that sort of finish would suit um, more so than Gigante would be someone like uh, Cecile. And she's coming into the season with a lot of good vibes after the way that her 2023 mm. ended. Um the incredible performance at Tour Scandinavia plus third at the world or second at Worlds. Um, so she's starting the year with a lot of great memories. And I feel like it's always interesting when you have a rider who has like a really good start of the season and then kind of peters off um, and has a rough second half of the season that they have a harder time getting back into the, the flow of things. But if you ended your year on a high, you either mm. overtrained during the break because you were too excited or you come in with that positive feeling kind of fueling you. So I'm excited that she's already getting into racing given she had such a good end of the season. 
I feel, I don't know how you feel about this, Gracie, but like 10 years ago or something, I um, always got the sense, uh, particularly because of Green Edge, that Aussies at Nationals, um, I'm not sure if the team held back some of the riders, but some riders were always like flying in January or at least were at 90% or 85%, but their 90% compared to someone's 100% was like 110 Um that when the some of the Europeans were coming over, like I even remember the first time Annemiek did it or, or Taylor, like it was such a shock to the system to be racing in January and to have like already that high intensity. But it seems like now, even if I look at here in Belgium, how many of the, the Belgian men are racing, the beach racing, which is really intense racing, it seems like people have, um, and I'll go back to referring to the women, have better form in January than previously. Like it was kind of unheard of when I was on Lululemon to be doing such high intensity early January. It definitely changed throughout my career. I reckon that shift was around that time that you retired, Lauren. So I remember 2012 to maybe, I don't know, 2015, you, you notice that bigger difference between the Aussies, especially because we had um, the Tour of Qatar and that was kind mm. of that, that nice middle ground between Aussie racing and European racing and because it was midway geographically as well, a lot of the Euro Europeans went to that and you could see that difference in condition um, because of the intensity we were doing um, but also racing in the heat that we were more used to. But I reckon around that time, around... 15, 16, I think 16 was the last time they had Qatar, um, you were like barely noticed the difference anymore and way more riders and teams were doing uh, winter training camps in nicer conditions. So um, Tenerife and Mallorca and anywhere that they could get high and still stay warm, but usually just going somewhere that was warm. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I think from then on, you wouldn't notice the difference. And I think now, yeah, the Aussies don't really have much of an advantage. I, I think um, it's the, the level's a lot higher in general. The depth is more so you, you don't, you just don't notice things as strongly either. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, but it was frustrating at the time once that shift started happening. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, I think with like Aussie nationals, it'll be interesting to see how a lot of the Aussies are going given that it's also an Olympic year like you don't want to be going too good already in January right now um and I think like yeah it, like with Brody and how well she was riding last year and then with the re the way that the rest of her season went um I think she I'll, I'm curious to see how she'll be riding going into Aussie nationals and going into this. And there's a couple of riders that I think fall into that category. Um, loved seeing her in the, the green and gold though for throughout the year. Um, even mm -hmm. if it was just kind of training yeah. out on the roads of Andorra. I think she she'll have good form. Hopefully she was definitely a worthy winner and it was a mm -hmm. shame that we didn't get to see that Jersey more in the Peloton, but Track have a good, strong team. They've got four riders, so they're, they're going to be pretty well matched to Jayco. I think Grace Brown's won out again, which will be tough for her, and she's definitely probably one of the most marked riders. Poor but Grace. <laughs> I think we probably don't need to too, talk too much about 
our pre-thoughts of yeah. nationals if we're going <laughs> to um, be late on these yeah. podcasts. Or but, we'll um, look really smart. Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got, got lots of predictions. Um, but going back to the the Aussies trying to balance that fitness, back when I was racing with Green Edge, it was like, yeah, try not to be too fit, but then there was that pressure that you still had to go and win. So mm. it was it was confusing to for a few months, like in your preseason camp at the end of the last season, to be like, yeah, like we don't want you to cook yourself. We want you to be good in the classics or whatever the goal was for that rider. So for pe- me personally, it was the classics. And then by nationals, it was almost like they'd forgotten that meeting and they were like expecting everyone to be sharp and on form. And if you were just off the mark, then you'd kind of get punished and then you wouldn't get your leadership for the next race that you were supposed to. And it was just like, fuck's sake, every time. Like what, you can't have it both ways. Like, And also just that personal pressure, team slash personal pressure for Green Edge in particular, it was really important to get the Aussie jersey in the team because of being the only Aussie World Tour team, men and women, men, men had the same pressure. Mm. Um, and and the personal pressure as well um, to be a World Tour level rider, you don't want to get beaten by no. national level riders. Like you, Lauren, I'm sure you can. I have the opposite Abby, experience. To, to you, Gracie. <laughs> but it's also, it's just like you get the most nervous for racing at home mm. because it's like you need to prove yourself Yeah, you're good. <laughs> so yeah. it's, a, it's a bit of a weird time and I do feel for um, the pros, particularly the, the ones in Jayco because I think they just have that little bit of extra pressure, but all of the World Tour riders at Aussie Nationals feel that way to some level. So it is really hard to balance. Yeah, it was actually going home every year got harder for me. Um, it was such a mindfuck, to be honest, because I was on the other side of the my, – my team's approach were, was the European approach, and like Gracie touched on um, during the years that I was racing, it wasn't emphasised to be in form in January. Um, so they really held us back, held us back. Um, and that was something I struggled with because I knew every time I showed up, I think the one time I showed up to nationals in 2015, I had some form and actually a decent January, just some bad luck with, with crashes and just not racing well as a team in the road race. Um, that was always really difficult for me because like you said, um, there were eyes on your back because at that time I think there were less of us female pros too. So it was kind of like you, you had this dominant force, the Green Edge team, that everyone wanted to be and you knew they were going to be in form and then it was just like uh, if you were a pro and you finished in like the second bunch or something, people were kind of scratching their heads going, you race in Europe. Um and, you know, you don't want to bring out the excuse book and everything, but I always struggle with that. And it would have been nice to have one really, really positive experience at Nationals, but I actually never had that in my career. Um, so, but things have changed now. Um, I'm sure it's it's a different experience for, for the European pros. But, again, like you said, if you're targeting um, the Olympics Tour de France world sort of part of the year, you want to be good in January, but you don't want to be too good. 
because there's time to come down from it and build back up, but it's like playing with fire because you could also go too hard and get sick. And if you get sick, it's harder to come back. And then you're compromised for the whole year, like we saw with Brody this year. So it's like, or last year. So it's really a fine line. I feel like on the on my side of the whole Aussie racing experience, you had, I was coming into it on a continental team and we are lining up against world tour teams. And so there was a ton of pressure on us to beat the world tour teams because it didn't matter if when I did the race, it wasn't world tour, but if we were perceived to be beating world tour teams at the race, then there was, yeah, it, it looked great for sponsors. It looked great for the European races that we were trying to get into all of that stuff. So it's really an interesting combination because you also have teams like, like life plus Wahoo who are going to this race above a ton of world tour teams that opted not to go. And they'll, they're looking at this as an opportunity to get points and get seen and all that stuff. So it's a really interesting dynamic that we don't really get to see in many other races. There's some races in Europe that we do get to see this, but not world tour level. The world tour level races in Europe are all attended by the world tour teams with some random exceptions. And so it's the only world tour race really that is fielded by mostly continental level teams. And I think that that makes the racing just a fascinating situation so we'll talk about that when when tdu happens after this weekend and um hopefully everyone gets to watch it there's a bit of obviously unknown in terms of live coverage right now with uh with gcn uh tdu will be on channel seven channel seven in australia check out escapecollective.com joe Lindsay is currently writing a piece on where to watch the racing so he will include tdu in that and um i'll also if, if i figure it out the wheel talk newsletter will have a mini preview uh this week of tdu so check out the wheel talk newsletter on escape collective on uh tuesday for a preview and I'll talk about how you can watch it um, definitive. So should we answer some questions? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. One of the good questions about SC Works dominance, I think we'll save for pre-European uh, season as SC Works is opted not to go to TDU. So I think we can we can talk about the SC Works dominance come SC Works entering the fray. But um, Hannah asked... Would love to hear your predictions. Mo- most extravagant prediction on the one on one side of the scale, and also most likely to happen on the other. <laughs> I've got a good extravagant one that just popped into my mind. <laughs> okay, hit us with it. <laughs> Ellen Van Dyke wins Parry Ruby. That would be so. That's not even extravagant. I feel like that's totally within <laughs> it's, reason. It's possible. No, it's possible, but like it's the so amazing. Of this is yes, exactly because. I mean, Paris-Roubaix in April, right? She um, gave birth in September? She, September, I think, or October? Uh, yeah. October. Fall. There's been so many babies, I can't So remember. many babies. Um, <laughs> but, like, I'm thinking back to Dijkman after her first pregnancy. I believe she won the Women's Tour of Britain in May. Is that right? And she gave birth to Ola in September. Which yeah. I at the time was like, wow. damn, yeah. that's incredible. And the turnaround was. Ellen's turnaround is next level. Mm-hmm. The fact that Ellen is racing five months after. But I think 
I mean, I did follow Lizzie's pregnancy quite closely because I just thought it was, you know, she was really the, the first one, um, not to say that there weren't other women in women's cycling who had had babies, but the a rider of her caliber who had decided exactly, um, had given birth. And with Ellen, I also followed along with her pregnancy and it seemed like, you know, she published all her, her training data and everything. She managed to really maintain quite a high, like a heavy, a decent load till the very end. Um, and you could see she was on training camp with her team with wonderful support of her partner um, and their son was there with them, which was so cool to see. Um, I don't think she lost that much, to be honest, and I think um, that's why she she is a person who's very realistic with her expectations. So for her to be going well in the spring, which is going to be so important if she wants to make the Olympic team, which she's already said she does, um, yeah, I honestly believe uh, she could do it. I think so too. I mean, it's been so impressive to watch her and it's one of those like, don't try it at home folk situations. Like obviously she has a team dedicated to making sure she and the baby are both progressing well over her whole pregnancy. And so it's not something that anyone should do without that kind of support. But as a professional athlete, watching her train and also come back and, and have such high goals for the season and also feel good enough that she's, she's going to be racing five months after giving birth is just incredible. Absolutely incredible. When I think about where I was five months after birth, like I don't, (laughs) Mm -mm. I still, yeah. That's also good to note though, Abby, like it's really cool to have these stories because, um, we, we can really champion women and what they're capable of and, and the support around them so they can do so. But it's also important to note for most mere mortals that's really not realistic and mm. how much support they're getting to do what they're doing. So, I, like, personally, I don't have any expectations of bumping, uh, bouncing back that quickly and I think it's important for most women to know that that you shouldn't probably bounce back that quickly or at least that you don't have to. <laughs> Thank you for, for bringing in that up, Gracie. I think that's such a, a relevant point. Um, this being my second pregnancy and I'm nowhere near an athlete anymore. I think the first pregnancy I was still quite fit, fit, funny ears. Um, this one, I've, I think I said to you guys, I'm the most unfit I've ever been in my life. And that's also due to current life circumstances. But for just your everyday person who has a normal job and other things going on in life, it's just not possible. And this really is, um, a career. So it's kind of like trying to have, you know, trying to juggle your professional career in a normal working life, say as a lawyer or whatever, um, and having a child and balancing that. And, um, yeah, I feel athletes almost have a better support around them to be able to manage that side of things. But that could be my just my interpretation. Here's my extravagant prediction of 2024. I think that the Giro is actually going to deliver live coverage, like quality situation. <laughs> Great stages. I have, I, Good field. I feel like maybe 
and pre-olympics yeah, pre-olympics like mm-hmm. i think it's actually going to be like a really good giro that we're going to get this year for the first time like we've there have been years where we've had a great field but we've had no live coverage and the race has been poorly organized and there's been years where we've had live coverage but it's not been a great field not much depth especially when it came to the gc and i think going into this year with where it is in the calendar with the tour being after the olympics and all that plus the new organizers i think we're gonna get both good racing and good coverage and i'm fully prepared to be heartbroken (laughs) come (laughs) come like stage two but (laughs) that is my unhinged prediction Okay, my extravagant extravagant prediction uh, is Lizzie Dyke will win the Olympics. Oh my God, how? Oh, that's a good one. What would that be? I know. (laughs) Also possible. It's very possible. It is possible. I would... I yeah. would be crying so hard that you would uh, like there would be no recording a podcast for two weeks because I would not have a voice. <laughs> I would, it would, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be pretty great. I would, I would be happy about that. the The other rider that I think that I would like completely lose my cool over would be Cassio. But I don't think she's racing. I think she's come out and said she's not. But no, that yeah. is, I think that that will change if she actually dives into the course more because like Mm -hmm. talking to some of the riders that have seen the course already, I think it was perceived as a sprinter race before, but now that they've actually seen it, it's like similar ish to, to the worlds this year, 2023 worlds in that there's like a, the circuit has the circuit in Paris has some climbing in it that I think will break it up a bit more, but I digress. If Elise Longo Borghini wins the Olympic road race, <laughs> I'm just going to, oh, I'm just yeah. going to, you'll never, I, I will never stop. Like you'll never hear the end of it. She's won two bronze medals, right? Yes. She's been third yeah. the yeah. last two yeah. Olympics. So like, can you imagine? Consistency. I think that she might be the most consistent rider in women's cycling. <laughs> yeah. And when she wins, it's it, so impressive. Like when she won Paris Roubaix and like, just not her style of race not her style of win like it was incredible but like she's so consistently up there but just doesn't have like the two percent it takes to win the race but she's so 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 good she's so good anyway those two riders what do we have do we have any like more likely predictions if i predict another sc works a year of us yeah (laughs) he's being like as she works one yet again. <laughs> I did. I wrote down some ages ago, but now reading them back, they're not that oh, good. Read them. I'll say them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Human powered health and EF to be bigger players. I mean, I think that's actually yeah. that's definitely yeah. going to happen. Especially human powered health picked up picking up Ruth and picking up a couple other riders this year. I think that that'll be they're going to definitely be plus without the men's team with all their support towards the women think it's going to be a completely different mm. team and they have all different management too different d they have a new ds and georgia bronzini so oh yeah Ruth has worked with georgia so that's that will yeah. be good um jeff asked i was thinking about mindset and whether the crew can think back about their time in profession as a professional and if they have examples of how to change how a change in mindset led to improvement in performance i would be interested in how individuals perform better in different teams not purely because of the team is stronger but the environment for that individual 
a two-parter mm-hmm. here. Um, either you want to tackle it first? I can start. Um, I think that the, this is worth a whole podcast, this question. It's a really good one. But to keep it short, there was a few things that helped my mindset without anything dra- um, uh, more intensive, like having a, a sports psychologist. And it was just having some good mantras and quotes. And I think most athletes have a really favourite mantra or quote that kind of grounds them or motivates them or you know, puts them back in the moment. Um, for me, it, it was more around that start line nerves. Um, I probably wouldn't get that nervous until I was on the start line, except for if it was a really big race and I'd be nervous all morning, maybe for the day before too. But it was kind of just um, reminding myself that pressure was a privilege. So I found that really helpful in my mindset to be like, I'm so lucky to be here at all um, in my life circumstances. Um, that I got to do cycling and then got to be in this team and to be at this race. So that kind of put things in perspective for me. And the other one, which when I was on the start line, would be if I was looking around at people, especially in the classics when it was bad weather, and they'd be in their beautiful warm jackets and they're drinking hot chocolates and I'm just thinking, what the fuck am I doing? Why am I about to put myself through all of this? What if I don't win? All of those thoughts that come into mind wishing I was that those people just having a nice day I would think they're here to watch us like the only reason they're here having a nice time is because of us and we're the special ones and it's it's something that I'll miss when I retire is being one of the ones on this side of the fence and when I retired that was exactly what I felt was just realizing even more how special that was to be on that side of the fence when you're no longer there anymore. So I'm really glad that I thought that as much as I could in my career. Um, And and having access to sports psychologists is way more common now and I didn't really do it that much in my career and I wish I had. Um, And I know more and more people are doing it now and I think that's super helpful. Um, Everyone has different... Uh, needs and things that they want to work on so it is pretty individualistic as well Mm -hmm. yeah pressure is a privilege I think that's a great one um and I think sometimes just in general like we put too much pressure on ourselves um and like you said Gracie it actually makes me think about um maybe if I had more times on the start line thought about the journey to getting to the start line and how that that all started with that childhood dream and how few people, um, this is something I used to come back to, to try and ground myself was how few people can actually say that they achieved that dream that they, they had as a child, um, whether that was because you wanted to be a fireman or something like that. Um, I think it's very rare in life if you reflect back on what you really wanted as a kid um, that you actually achieved. And for me, it was always just to wear the green and gold, Um, not specifically in one race, but I just had this dream of wearing green and gold. Um, For me, the biggest thing or the game changer, and I wish if I had stuck in the sport longer, I think that this person could have had a huge impact on my career was had a difficult time at the end of 2015 Um, and it was a friend who put me in touch with um, this this mentor 
who mentored me all through 2016. And um, having the Sky Bill in my life really changed how I viewed sport. And he worked with some of um, Australia's biggest athletes. And I just wondered why he was taking the time to work with me. And it was like completely, um, you know, free of charge. I could call him whenever I wanted. And um, I guess meeting this guy and just talking to him about life and sport and um, his experiences with some of the top athletes, yeah, definitely helped me. So strong mentor. I also didn't work with um, a psychologist during my career, but I think I should have 100%. And that's something I definitely would have done differently had I continued on in the sport. Maybe that would have been one of the deciding factors of me actually having a longer career. I think that's some really great stuff extra there, Lauren. Like um, mentors can also be such a great um, person to have in your support network. It doesn't have to be a, a clinical or, you know, official psychologist. I think it's good to identify as an individual what, like maybe some of the things that might hold you back and the why. And I think maybe if you just got a few things that you'd like to tweak, a, um, a, a performance coach or a mentor is a really good option. But if you know that you've got a bit of extra um, past trauma or some issues that you've really had to deal with, such as um, eating disorders or any mental health concerns, that's where you would like to step further down into seeing someone uh, more highly educated in those specific areas because it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of box-ticking exercise of how to be a a resilient, strong, motivated, happy athlete. There's so many things there that come into play that it's really good to just think about it, try and make a good informed decision and also it's okay if it didn't quite work, just try again, try someone new and try a different avenue. Yeah, finding the right psychologist is like dating. Yeah. That ties into I think when I had my most positive mindset when I was racing, it was when I had a coach that I really adored and trusted and was available in more ways than just like here's your training for the day, this is Mm -hmm. here's your power goals, whatever. Um, someone that I could go and like have a burger with and there was no like judgment. And we talked a lot about life things and we stay in touch to this day because we had such a good relationship. And I had, I had coaches before that, that I was afraid of and, um, really didn't bring out the best in me. Um, and, and working with someone, on the performance side that I had a good relationship with, which I also like pe- when people ask me, Oh, if there's what's something you would advise to a junior or something. And I always say like coaching, finding the coach, the right coach for you is like dating. And it's like a relationship. You need to have trust both ways and you need to have good communication. And I think for me, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the happiest I was in my career when I was, was when I was working with, with Ben Day as my coach. Um, cause I just got along with him super well. Uh-huh. Um, I've heard the best thing about he's him. Amazing. Someone I, I knew. Yeah from Australia used to work with him when she was racing in Australia. He's, I mean, we, we still have burger 
like send burger pictures back and forth and like rate burgers back and forth, which is like when it comes for someone who struggled a lot with eating disorders in their career, for me, it was a big deal that I had a coach that didn't make a big deal out of that, but subtly kind of kept me on track um, in that sense. And, And I had a coach before who would encourage me not to eat and like always talking about weight and stuff like that. And that was a really bad dark time in my career and so for me yeah, I always I always tell people that you you really need to love your coach because they are the ones who should know the most about you as much as your partner if you want to be successful mm-hmm. yeah your coach needs to know everything about you to like an almost weird you know level so having having a coach that you really love but also friends that keep you grounded and keep you uh, I I think for me like I had this group of friends that were sport adjacent like they're either their partner raced or they raced or something that were that never put too much emphasis on cycling like we would get together and we would have dance parties we wouldn't talk about cycling but they also knew the pressures of the sport and knew what it what I needed to do to be the best that I could be and so they were encouraging but not too much where it felt like they were putting pressure on me or making the pressure worse they were taking the pressure off of me by making me see the fun and in everything but we could go on training rides and then have a dance party and it was awesome so like something having friends that that understand but are also you know understand the good and the bad and are able to kind of lead you through it uh, through it all um i think that those a lot of a lot of positive mindset comes back to the community that you have around you and and your team be that you know your partner your coach your sports psych your nutritionist whatever like the the team that you have involved in your career they should make you feel good and your that will inform your mindset high level sport uh, it's it is all consuming and we've spoken about this before how good it is to have other interests or hobbies um or goals outside of of sport um, because I think when it's all you've ever done, like for, for myself and actually for my best friend, Carly, uh, starting very, very young with competitive sport and being, um, very good, very young, wasn't the best thing. Um, and it also meant that everything in my life personally revolved around sport. And once I left school and university, I didn't have, uh, normal people in my life that, you know, had other interests and hobbies and, you know, competing and results and, you know, making it into the professional ranks weren't thoughts that consumed them. Where when I moved to Girona, it was a wonderful thing because I found a community and a home and a family away from, from Australia. But again, it was very much, you get caught up in this bubble of just cycling, um, which probably wasn't the best thing, actually. It's an interesting situation because it's the people you spend the most time with. And I think, like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> when it comes to your your social circle and who you spend time with off the bike and also on the bike, like training rides and stuff, it you can't choose who your team is. 
Like you have no say in who your teammates are, who your DS is. If you're lucky, you get along with your team. And I think that in women's cycling, it's probably more likely that you get along with your team. I wonder if that's changing. Yeah, I think it is actually. As a I think it is. Because when I think of SD Works, I think it's um, a really good organization that works well together. They're, they're good teammates. They're good workmates. They respect each other. But I'm not necessarily going to ask you out for Friday drinks. What, you don't want to go get drinks with Lola Kopecki and Demi Wallering? <laughs> the two, just the two of them? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, yeah, like you. That'd be a great. You can't. Night. <laughs> you can't pick who your teammates are. You're you're hired to a team, and if you're lucky, like you get along. But you pick who you spend every day with, and it's important to pick people you spend every day with that lift you up. And I think, like, even in a non-sports related area, like in even in, as a completely normal person who doesn't compete in sport or have any sport, just like maybe I don't know any human being. You want people who you go and you see and you they put a smile on your face. And it's the same with the people that you choose in sport. And those people will make your mindset in life. But it, the two things when you're a professional athlete are com- just, they're fused. Your mindset in mm-hmm. life and your mindset in sport mm-hmm. are exactly, that. there's no difference between the two. But I have to say, I do miss people like you guys now. <laughs> I would I would take the Girona bubble back if I could. Man, I, 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 I'm so bummed that we never... <laughs> it's way better. Us and Taylor didn't overlap in Girona like enough. Taylor and I had a nice overlapping as teammates and um, residents of Girona. We, I feel like in the beginning, it was, it was funny because I was just like in awe of her. And and they tell you not to meet your heroes. And then I met Taylor and I was like, I don't know what that's about because she is above and beyond. <laughs> and, and um, but it took us a while to actually become friends because we, I think like I was so like, I, I had her up on a pedestal. And so I was like scared. And then she's just like, she's just Taylor. It's funny. She's just. This I feel lovely, like I would have been the same with Gracie. Beautiful. I would have been like, "Oh my god." <laughs> I, I reckon people get the, the same vibe with Gracie. One hundred percent. Actually, I'm trying to think who, and it was like to do with Britt Lindor. It's like you want to be friends with them, but you don't. Yeah, like you're not intimidated, but it's like that one person you want to be mm. friends with. <laughs> yeah, I totally see that. I do, I do want to finish that question though because it is a listener question. And I think anyone that, you know, reads sports biographies, watches sports docos, asks questions like this, I think so many people love sports and athletes because they're trying to seek out the answers to some questions that athletes seem to have the answers to. And athletes are still just normal people. Um, they're, They're an iceberg, much like any other person. It may look like they're doing it alone and they may look like they're full of all of this extra special juice to get them to that point. And at a certain point, if they have to run that 100-metre final or they have to cross that line at the Olympics or whatever it is, they do have to do that tiny last bit alone, but everything else is never alone. And Abby and Lauren both touched on it. It's finding people that make you happy, finding people you trust, finding people you value, finding people that you can be vulnerable with. They're the ones that get you 
to a good mindset. You can do bits and pieces by yourself, but you can't read all the books and do it alone. It's just not possible. So if you're a regular person read, uh, listening to this, like that's the advice that we've all given in different ways is like ask for help, find mentors, find extra support when you need it, lean on your friends, find good people around you that act as that great coach or that great person that you can lean on because you need different perspectives and you need help <laughs> to get anywhere that you want to go to. The second part of that question, uh, individuals performing better in different teams, not because of the how strong the team is, but the environment. Um, that's an interesting one that I think we could also make a whole podcast about. But there's um, there's a lot to be said about the management of a team and how the management, the DSs and the team um, team manager and all all those people above the riders set the tone for the whole team and um, how the impact of just the management on the riders can make or break a team's performance throughout the year, but also if the riders get along. Um, I've been on teams where we had just horrendous management and I look at the riders that I was teammates with that I cannot stand and I think, well, any other situation, we would have been great friends, but the management drove us apart in their poor, poor, poor managing. And I also look at teams where we had really strong management um, that put a lot of emphasis on teamwork and, and being one unit. And those are the teammates that I, I'm still really close with to this day. So I think that there's, yeah, when it comes to the environment of a team, the, the management has a lot of impact on that. This goes for any workplace, honestly. And going back to to my mentor, Bill, he was actually the head coach of the Australian swim team during the golden era of the, you know, the Michael Klim, Kieran Perkins. Um, and he now, that's what he's, his job is, is actually going around and, um, you know, coaching very, very big companies and organisations on developing this, culture within the workplace um, because I think that's what it comes down to. It comes down to culture. Um, and if you have a good culture, then everything else comes after. Yeah, agree. <laughs> I think we can we can use that to go into our final our final final listener question. And I think in lieu of what we're obsessed with, we'll just pick our dream teams um, for lack of time. Unless either of you have a really good obsession then you can veto my decision. <laughs> but we already talked about mm -hmm. how both of you are having babies. So I feel like that's just an obsession. <laughs> that I'm also obsessed with both of your babies. So there we go. Check. Okay. <laughs> Michelle asked, pick your dream team for 2024. Bikes, riders, DS, etc. Can I go first? Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, we, we mentioned in the last episode that you could pick riders that aren't currently racing, but I'd already made a list. And so I'm just going to stick with that list because whilst I would absolutely love to compile a team of former riders, I think I'll just go with riders that are currently, currently racing. And my roster makes limited sense, but I think I went for vibes, um, <laughs> with a couple, like in, with a couple people that you'd be, crazy not to put on a cycling team so i've got marlon mm -hmm. Reuser, corinne lebecki mm -hmm. lotta Kopecky, zoe backstead uh ricardo bauernfeind 
Soraya Paladin, Georgia Williams, just a random pick there, but <laughs> it makes sense in my head. Grace Brown, Marta Cavalli, Elise Longaborghini, Sharon Van Anroy, Brody Chapman, Emma Norsgaard, Liana Lippert, and Anne Henderson. It's a big team. You've just gone for like favorites. <laughs> no, but it makes sense though, because you've got like really strong people who could be good team captains on the road like Brody Chapman for example and then I've I, I got a couple like sprinters in there with Corinne and like Emma Norsgaard as a fun uh classics rider plus you've got really strong domestiques with like Georgia Williams Anna Henderson and some young riders with Sharin and Zoe and Ricarda plus like Soraya is a super valuable rider and then I have climbers with Leona Lippert she's and Cavalli and Longaborghini is just like good at everything. And Mar how could you not put Marlon Rooster on a team? And my team would be riding Trek bikes. As aside from my potential bias there, they, th I think that the company has proven how much they uh, care about women's cycling. And so even if they're not the best bikes out there, which I don't know, I've not ridden all the bikes, how like the the amount that they've invested into the sport and the the level that they've raised women's teams to i couldn't not pick uh -huh. trek as the bikes that i would want my team to ride um my ds would be uh -huh. iris slapendell <laughs> she's gonna hate that uh -huh. <laughs> but but i just think she would be <laughs> so good man she'd be so good so perhaps i'd throw gracie in the ring for that yes no. <laughs> no, i'm good i'm good at talking about them I don't know about talking to them. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, that would be my team. I It makes total sense in my head, but then it also doesn't. All right. I actually, yeah. Okay. See, now you're thinking about it. Doesn't it make more sense? I had pretty, I, I had a pretty similar list too, actually. You go, Lauren. Mine's pretty, pretty long. <laughs> but actually teams are pretty big now, right? Yeah, Trek has 19. Yeah, exactly. I I made Sweet. this list and I was like, "Oh man, this is so many riders." And then I was like, and then I was like, "Yeah, but look at like the amount of races on the calendar these days." Yeah, yeah. True. All right, my list. I've kind of so I've got two little groups and my thought process is um so domestics or more in the working roles, but of course domestiques can have opportunities at some points. But these are like the hardcore ones that actually they're, they're not there to, to have an opportunity, which sounds bad. Anyway, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, a, like a men's, a typical men's domestique, which is what- They're a career domestique. Career, there we go. Thank you, Gracie. Loretta Hansen, um, Romy Casper, Soraya Paladin, uh, Jess Allen, um, because she actually, there were a few years there that she was brilliant, actually. Um, and Christine Mayoris as my key team. Then I've got Dignan, Longo Borghini, Elvin, Bluck, Peters, Newadoma, Tudenberg, Dehora, Kapeki, and Shinvananwa. Shirin. That's my team. And then my DSs would be Iris and Zach Dempster. 
Oh, Zach. Yeah, that's a yep. good choice. Very good. I didn't do too bad, huh? No, well, that was good. I have, I have a You said you weren't prepared. I know, but actually I had the list in my head the whole time. <laughs> I just had to like. <laughs> um, I have a loyalty to Specialized. Um, I love Trek as a company and I love what they're doing across all disciplines. I think it's amazing what they're doing as well in terms of um, uh, developing really good cargo bikes and they're putting a lot of emphasis into cycling advocacy, um, which actually Specialized are doing the same. I'm so jealous. Um, but they they always took really good care of us at Specialized Lululemon and they did put us at the top. They cared about the team. So that was my experience professionally. And now on the other side, um, I'm still working somewhat in the industry but more in the mountain biking sector and there's really good support there as well for trail advocacy and other such things. Um, and then, again, just that personal relationship I've had within the company. Um, they've been really supportive this past year and sent Harry a really great second birthday present, um, which just made his day. So, And I like the bikes. I really loved racing um, on specialized bikes when I had those few years with the, with the team. All right, Gracie, who's your team? Well, it's pretty similar. I've put it in three, three categories. Young Talent, mm. Niedermeyer, Raylini, Roseman Gannon, and Norsgaard. Nice. They're all winners already, but they're all pretty bloody young still. Um, next category is Workhorses slash Lead Out slash Can Still Win. <laughs> A bit like Lauren. Um, Aladdin, Artegeist, Hansen, Georgie, Brand, Rusa, and Henderson. Mm. And fight for Georgia. Forgot about her. She's she's a she's yeah. going to be one to watch this year. But she's like she's so versatile, huge asset. Mm. Yeah, good lead out if nothing else. <laughs> um, and the stars are Brown, Dagnan, Elisa Longa Borghini, Lippert, Cool, mm. and Kapeki. Nice. That's a good day. So I think we're all on the similar page to our pick. I find it interesting. Yeah. I'm pretty sure none of us chose Weebs, Weebus or Vollering. No, I didn't notice that. Too obvious? It was, it was too obvious. <laughs> I'll tell you why. <laughs> but yeah. also no, culture. It was because they're too yeah. good. Kind of nice to gang up on them. It's because they're too good. They're incredible. And I think Weebus in particular is like a really fun rider. Like she's she's fun on and off the bike. And you can tell in the way that she interacts with her teammates when she wins and stuff like that. Like you can read a lot in into how somebody um, like when the camera is on them, how their, their body movements and everything. But I feel like Vollering and Weebus are so good that they just... I think SC Works does such a good job of um, spreading out the wins and allowing other riders on the team to have an opportunity or uh, like even Demi and and Royce are at races like Tour de Suisse and stuff like that. But that is such a rare thing on a team with riders that strong to be able to manage their personalities. I feel like, or manage their, their abilities. I feel like for for me, I wouldn't want someone that good on a team because it it really is a delicate balance of culture on the team if you have someone who's that good. It's really it's mm. hard mm. to manage. Mm. And I think 
that SC Works has people on the management side that have been doing this for so long and have dealt with riders that good for so long that they know what they're doing, but not a, nah. every team could do that. Like, I don't think, I don't think there's even a single other team on that I can think of that could have riders that are that good, plus a whole other roster of riders and be able well, I think to that make says it work. A, a lot about the culture they've developed over the past, how long's that team been around 12 years now? I mean, once Dignan signed in 2013, that's when it started becoming the team it is now. That was the start, really, of it. Yeah, she joined the team when um, it wasn't like a, a – it was the Rabobank yeah. days, and Bulls Dolmans wasn't really a major Yeah, because um, our, our drink folded the year after London Olympics. They had some big names there. They took over the riders from Cervelo Test Team, um, and then, yeah, it was kind of like Lizzie went to the smaller team um, and had a, a few good riders, some good support, but uh, it really built from 2014. But, yeah, I, I think that's fascinating that none of us pick them, but I think we all were probably mm. in the same mindset. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's nothing, like, negative about the two of no. them. I think it's, it's yeah. You've got to build a good, you've got to build a good cohesive team and a good culture. <laughs> Not that exactly, they don't have a good exactly. culture, but it's yeah, exactly. just, it's a recipe, isn't it? For a DS, yeah. I... We did pick Kapeki. Yeah, though. she's... she's Sorry, Gracie. <laughs> even though we debated her versus Vollering, she's still, like, I don't know, so amazing in so many different ways. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, what, what else can she do? She's not overpowering, <laughs> too. Mm -hmm. I think she's still, like, I mean, her, arguably, she's more experienced than Vollering in the amount of time that mm -hmm. she's been in the peloton. But she's still so, like... I don't want to say forgettable because that's that sounds mean, but it, she's she's still under the radar in a way, even though she's the world champion. Like she's still you she you don't she's not the first person that springs to mind, and I think that's a good thing when building a team. Like she would still be the out and out leader in many of the races. Like looking at the start list of the or looking at the roster but she's it's not like she's you know talking about mindset that is an athlete i would really like to understand their mindset mm -hmm. anyway gracie who's your ds <laughs> i yeah. also had iris um and i had another two los gunnawike was probably my favorite teammate ever she was mm -hmm. she, she is now a ds for the national team the dutch national team so she knows what she's doing but she was like probably one of my best mentors and teammates over the years. I probably learned the most from her and Judith aren't because oh. she's just no bullshit. And I think it, like both, both of those two women and Iris included, they're not threatened by other women or other people's success. They've got great race brains and they're good, quite good communicators, and I think that's super important as a DS, particularly that point about not being threatened by other people. I think they would just be really great uh, leaders as well as being supportive people in general. So I think that's super important. And good shout. That, yeah, and I really want to reiterate your point about the bike brands. Like I, I wouldn't be able to choose probably between Trek and Specialized because they're their technology is amazing, but their ethos is um, really sound and they've put their money where their mouth is. And 
I was with Scott for pretty much the whole time. I was with Green Edge. And we had a meeting with them, like, not that long before I retired and they were trying to, like, get us excited about the brand. And they showed us this promo video and I counted the times there was women in it, which was once. And I'd already gone and looked at their Instagram and their website, which had pretty much zero women and nothing about us winning races for many years before that. And I, I pointed it out. I said, your brand is just not uh, female friendly in any sense. <laughs> like, what? how could you change that if you want us to be on board with your brand? We're sponsored by you, but we want to be, we want to buy into you as well, you know, and how to, how can you also buy into us? And they started posting way more stuff, but it was still such a masculine brand. And I felt like it was still kind of tokenistic and mm -hmm. same with some of the clothing brands, like the Green Edge women's team was very well supported over the years. I'm not going to say that it was a, a facade because it wasn't, it was a really great team overall, but the sponsors didn't care that much. They put what they needed to put in and we got good support in general. But, like, I never got to wear my national stripes on my sleeve after I wasn't national champion anymore. Like, it's just stuff like that that just kind of got to you of not feeling visible in the brand, um, in their content and advertising, oh. and, and then not feeling like they really cared when it came to the, the details like that. So... I think it's really important to have brands that are on board with women's sport and women's cycling. Shram needs a shout out too because they're another fantastic brand. Yeah, I was going to say Canyon as well. Shram's done amazing things for women's cycling and continues and cycling in general and the, the whole sport. And yeah, Canyon I think is working their way up there in terms of the, the amount of support that they give to teams. I mean, they've always been obviously a co-sponsor of Canyon Shram, but um they're definitely putting putting a lot into women's cycling in all disciplines at this point. I think all three of our teams would ride Velocio. Oh, yeah. I was going to oh, add that yes. in too. Good one. Thanks for reminding me. I'm obsessed with that brand. No question. I, being pregnant and starting to change <laughs> shape. I Like I've been obsessed with the Lux Nicks now for like since I retired and I've got a set in pretty much every color and – they still are just moving with me and it's I'm just so stoked about that. I just love all their colors. I'll oh. never forget I was I was wearing them one day and I was riding and I and I had stopped to like check my phone, I think, or something. I was standing on on the side of the road and this woman rode up to me and she was like, I'm sorry, I just need to say that your your bibs look really comfortable. And that poor woman, because then I was like, oh, my God, let me tell you all about them. And I spent like five minutes standing there telling her about how great the Lux bibs were. And then I was like, I know them. the material like, the fabric. So it's silky. Like, it's comparable to Lululemon fabric. Like, it's so good. It's just next level. You can't buy anything else that's as good as it, I don't mm. think. <laughs> <laughs> Those are our team's. Uh, thanks everybody for listening to this episode Lauren thank you for joining you will I don't know when you'll be back we'll give you your your time to <laughs> to adjust to your new normal but we'll have you back on soon and when Gracie and I are back next week we'll talk about TDU TDU